Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. So Sarah, you look a little stiff over there. I am a little sore. (laughs) I worked out. My triceps are burning. (laughs) Uh, just sitting here, they hurt. <laughs> Before we got on, you you were looking like you were in a little bit of pain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I need to stretch it out today. So I got to pause. I actually was told I'm, you know, I got to keep my workouts to a minimum to stop taxing my adrenals quite so much. Um, you know, but all things that I have to consider on my journey to health. Like, are you sore, like just in your arms or in your chest area too? Uh, you, not so much in my chest area. I work my chest area pretty frequently, but, um, but what I have noticed is like one side is a, a lot more stronger than the other. So I have to focus a little bit more on one side than the other, but then that also means I'm a little bit more sore on one side than the other. So is it if your I sur- drive in a circle, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> is it your surgery side? Is that the side that's weaker? Yes. Yeah. That's well, how I am. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My surgery side is my weaker side. And mm-hmm. I, I really notice it when I lift weights. Like I can mm-hmm. tell that I just am not as strong on that side. And that's, I mean, you work out quite a bit. So yeah, yeah. today we're going to be talking about how we felt about making our decision for surgery, what we chose, all the different options that exist, um, considerations, concerns, and um, maybe we'll wrap with, you know, did anybody influence our decision making? How did our husbands feel about our decision and whether or not we have any regrets? Yeah. Okay, Uh, before we dive into that, let's hear from our first sponsor. For comprehensive women's health care, Barnes Jewish St. Peter's and Progress West Hospitals are your best choice for doctors, new technologies, and personalized care. With a broad range of women's health services, including breast health, continence, and pelvic pain therapy, OBGYN care, and a birthing center, by choosing a BJC healthcare facility, you become part of a network that provides the world's best medicine. Schedule an appointment today by calling 636-928-WELL. That's 636-928-9355. All right, and we're back. We both had double mastectomies. Mm-hmm. Did you find it difficult to make that decision? Uh, I, I don't want to say it was, it was not difficult. I think the road to getting there was the more complicated part. I want to give kind of like a brief timeline of how I did everything because it will give people context. Like you don't have to just like make this one decision. I was pregnant. There was a chance that I was stage zero. And because of that, I wanted to breastfeed. Breastfeeding was really important to me. Like I think I said in a previous Mm -hmm. episode, that was like the thing I had to grieve was losing my ability to breastfeed. So that being kind of at the top of my priorities, uh, I actually chose to have a uh, unilateral mastectomy first. So I had a unilateral mastectomy. Which is a single. Single mastectomy. Yep. So um, I, for six months after that, I was, um, I went through chemo with a prosthetic and then um, through the entire summer, which is very difficult actually to, to be in the summer with spaghetti strap tank tops and 
not have a chest on one side. After that, I at the end of the summer, so six months after I had that, I decided to go back in and do the a prophylactic on the other side and then um, the reconstruction for both. Mm-hmm. Why I wanted to share all that is because I think sometimes you can be influenced by your providers to just get it all done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to really share that it was re- what was really important to me. I didn't want to lose that. Like I w- won't ever regret my decision because I know that I, I got to actually breastfeed from my one side for two months, which Mm -hmm. was really important to me. And it gave me a really good quality of life. So the actual decision to have the prophylactic, not a hard decision at all. What about you? For me, I immediately knew I was going to have a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, when I was looking for a breast surgeon, the one that I did not go with was the one that said that his preference was a single mastectomy um, Ah. or a lumpectomy over a double. And so at that point, I just knew that he wasn't the right surgeon for me because I knew that I wanted a double mastectomy. You know, I don't know if your husband had any thoughts on it, but mine was just kind of like, whatever you want to do is Mm -hmm. fine with me. And so, yeah, I made that decision really quick. Yeah. I felt like once I had heard, you know, the insurance will cover the the other side it mm-hmm. was it was kind of a no brainer i knew i wanted symmetry and we were done having kids anyway so that all played into the decision to you know just do both sides and to get it all done i think what's really interesting is that the data doesn't show that there's any additional benefit to a double mastectomy. In most cases, a single is perfectly fine and that there is no increased risk of reoccurrence in the other breast, which I think leaves a lot of doctors baffled, mm-hmm. um, including that first surgeon, as to why we would choose or opt to have a double mastectomy when there's no data to support that there's a benefit. So I, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I think it has providers often scratching their head and there has been a increase in women, specifically younger women, deciding to have double mastectomies when they don't necessarily need to. And so I think that would be really interesting to talk about. But before we do that, do you want to do boobs in the news? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Let's do boobs in the news first. I feel like that topic warrants a lot of conversation. And so let's do a little boobs in the news first. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. So here's my boobs in the news. Are you ready? Totally. So I actually, I, I have my vote on who the boob is in the story. I want to know who you think okay, the boob is. So, okay. So this comes out of the UK and the title of it says, woman catches Amazon driver mid squat pooing in her garden. Oh, what? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So um, Amazon has fired a delivery driver after a horrified neighbor caught him pooing in her garden. Okay, so this woman says she was cooking in her kitchen when a van pulled up outside her home. A man ran from the vehicle towards her garden, and she followed him, suspecting that he was going to steal some wood from her garden. But the mom of two caught the man mid-squat defecating on her property among the trees and called the police. Ah, yeah. So, um, essentially, she wouldn't let him leave, and she trapped him there in the garden with his pants down until the police arrived. Her husband came out and they basically like stood watch over this man until the police came. So she says that, quote, he messed with the wrong woman. I'm a blue belt in Taekwondo. (laughs) And the anger and rage he saw was enough to put the fear of God in him. Okay. So she, she said that she was calling the police that he shouldn't move. And, and essentially the police came and questioned the delivery driver. So, 
I don't know how you feel about this thus far. I mean, when you gotta go, you gotta go. Okay, so the police start questioning this man, and he says, I I wasn't feeling well, and I didn't realize that the grounds were part of a private garden, and so they decided not to arrest him, but he lost his job. And the woman was promised a gift voucher from Amazon as a goodwill (laughs) gesture. A, what is the dollar amount on that gift card? Right. And B, I I personally think the woman's the boob. I mean, this man was sick. Yeah, that's a toughie. I I mean, I felt sorry for him. There's actually a picture of him. Oh. There's a picture of him. She took a picture of him. Pooing in her garden. Oh, and that made the news. The poor man just needed to go. Maybe he felt like he was doing the best that he could. Maybe fertilizing her flowers. I mean, I think that she's the boob. That's mean. If anybody that's been in that situation where you are sick and you have uncontrollable diarrhea, the man ran for the garden. I mean, it's not like he did it right by her mailbox. I I feel (laughs) like she's the boob for not being more compassionate to this man. I don't think he should have lost his job. That's just my that's just my two cents. So that's the boobs. We vote for your job back. That's right, Amazon. (laughs) Come on, have a little compassion. This poor man. Uh, Ugh. All right. right. That was today's boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. And we are back. So let's Let's get back to that question. Providers are wondering why women are choosing double mastectomies when potentially the the data is out there saying that they might not even need them. So I want to know, I want to know why you chose a double. Yeah, yeah. So um, I chose a double for a few reasons. One is that I didn't want the anxiety about future mammograms, mm-hmm. um, even though the data suggests that there's no increased risk of reoccurrence in the other breast. I just was really interested in protecting my emotional well-being. And so I didn't want that added anxiety of always going in wondering if it was going to come back. So that was a concern of mine. I wanted to eliminate the uh, potential for having to go through treatment all over again. Mm -hmm. If I did reoccur in the other breast, I did not want to have to go through this again. If I, you know, if I got a new cancer, Mm -hmm. I also had a nurse that prepped me for my mastectomy, and um, I remember her clearly, you know, she's like, are you doing okay? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. And she said, oh, honey, you know, I, I totally get it. I was in the same position as you. I was a young mom, and I had breast cancer, and I opted for a double mastectomy. And she said, you know, at the time, they were trying to tell me to just do a single. And she said, and when I woke up from the mastectomy, they found precancerous cells in the other breast. And so she's like, I would have been back to do it again later anyway. And that gave me a lot of confidence. And that was anecdotal, obviously. That was just her experience. But it stuck with me. So I wanted to avoid the potential for having to go through treatment again. And then finally, it had to do around with mammograms because when you're young, your breast breast tissue is dense and dense breast tissue is white and tumors on a mammogram are white. And I didn't trust that if another tumor developed that they would necessarily catch it on the mammogram. Hmm. And then I'm I'm a young mom. And so for me, it felt like I wanted to do everything I could to ensure that I eliminated every possible risk. So I recognize that the data didn't support my reasoning, but I think that that speaks to the medical distrust that sometimes exists between what the data says and what our lived experience has shown us. Sure. So yeah, that's that's why I did. And, and I did look into the data on this. It says that one in eight women opt to get a double mastectomy, but when women are under 55, that number goes to one in four. 
Oh, really? Uh-huh. So Wait, they s- one in four choose to get the double mastectomy. Right. Yeah. When when they're under yeah. the age of 55, meaning that younger women are mm-hmm. much more prone to saying, I want a double mastectomy. You know, and I wonder if that just had, like, if it goes back to the same reasons you and I, you know, if you know that you're at a risk, a higher risk of breast cancer because you've already had it, that's a lot of years of getting mammograms yearly. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of, I mean, you already have a lot of appointments already. So if you did a double, then you're taking at least that risk and that mental risk that you put yourself at for all of those years. And don't you find it confusing because the doctors are saying you're not in an increased risk of another breast cancer, but yet now you're telling me I have to be hypervigilant about my mammograms Mm. and you're telling me that now my kids Mm. need to be hypervigilant with their mammograms. Now, why are you saying that if there's no heightened risk of a second cancer? Well, I mean, I guess you can kind of think about it this way. So if you get into a car accident and you're, you're sitting in the car accident and you're like, you're worried about driving again, It's the same kind of anxiety you're going to feel about, like, if I go back out there after I go through all this treatment and all this, like, and I still have this risk sitting on me, aka sitting in the car, it's going to, it's the same kind of risk. You're going to be a little bit scared and you're going to be timid about doing it, but you're having to make the decision in the middle of diagnosis about whether you're going to get a single or a double. Mm -hmm. A lot of times patients are told, and I was told this, that if I got a double mastectomy, I wouldn't have to have radiation. Mm. And then guess what? After Mm -hmm. I had my double mastectomy, they told me they wanted me to have radiation. Interesting. So some women are making decisions to have a double mastectomy in the hopes that it gets them to, you know, they get to avoid radiation. Mm -hmm. That's another reason. And Mm -hmm. I'll be interested to know if there's any women that we speak to that has that. But yeah, you can have a lumpectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have a single mastectomy. Mm -hmm. You can stay flat on that side or you can have a reconstructed breast on Mm -hmm. that side. You could have a double mastectomy. And then with reconstruction, right, you're dealing mm-hmm. with either implants mm-hmm. or your own tissue. You can mm-hmm. use your own tissue. I wanted to do that. I wanted to have my own tissue used, but unfortunately, I didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. They were looking at my stomach. I wanted them to look at my derriere because there was plenty back there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I was like, you're looking in the wrong spot. <laughs> I think, you know, and and we'll get into this more next time. Um, you know, everybody chooses things for different reasons. For me, the the... The implant was the obvious choice. Um, and then, and of course, they said that I wasn't really a candidate for the DIEP, the deep flap. Mm-hmm. That's the tissue. Yeah, that's the tissue. And a lot of people just don't like the thought of having an implant and thinks it think it doesn't look quite as natural. Um, and the feel is obviously a little bit different as well. You know, and then there's some women who choose to stay flat. And I think that that comes with all their own reasons. So I'm excited next time for us to share, you know, why women choose what they choose um, and just give a little bit of power around it. Because I know sometimes it can be a little scary to make these big decisions, not really knowing, you know, what's on the other side of it. Yeah. And I I'm trying to think back to my experience because whether or not I was given any information to help me make that decision, I don't recall that. Do you? Do you recall getting information from your provider about all the different options? And- I, I do. I actually ended up meeting throughout my appointments. I ended up meeting two different plastic surgeons. So I was talked through each option from the get go. The deep flap was always off mm-hmm. my. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess that happened for me, too. Yeah, was, I think they do. It was always off the um, off the table. I do remember my plastic surgeon that I ended up going with. He had strongly pushed for me to get the double mastectomy at the same time um, so that he could go immediately into the reconstruction. And we can talk about this now. Uh, there's some women lose their nipples and some women get to keep their nipples. And it kind of depends on your tumor location and then obviously the timing of your reconstruction and 
how much skin involvement there is, but I would have had the option to save my nipples had I done it all at the same time. But instead, I chose the breastfeeding option and then ended up having to lose them because of that. So that kind of also does play a factor into it. And it, you know, everybody else will kind of have to make those same decisions as well based on the timing of everything. And if, if what's really important for them to save, I've mentored um, people who their nipples were really important to them and they've actually had to kind of come to, you know, just like I had to grieve losing breastfeeding, they've had to grieve losing that part of them. Um, You know, you lose a lot about your sexuality, which is something we're going to broach on podcasts down the road. We've already talked about kind of planning that and we'll have some guests on, but that is losing a piece of you and a piece of your sexuality. And, um, and a lot of women have to kind of grieve that. So, Mm -hmm. and here's, here's a piece of it. And I don't know if we want to get into this now or not, but when you choose to have uh, implants, you can do it a few different ways, depending on who your surgeon is and what they think is appropriate for you. But some women have implants over the muscle. Mm -hmm. Some women have implants under the muscle. Some women have immediate reconstruction to where they go in for their mastectomy and they wake up reconstructed. Other women like myself, we get the um, expanders, expanders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To where you wake up from your double mastectomy and you have uh, like plastic expanders in your chest, which they Mm -hmm. then inflate over time with fluid Mm -hmm. to stretch the skin so that you can have your implants put in, which is its own process. I had no issue with my expanders. Did you? There were uh, parts of them were were uncomfortable. It's kind of like, um, I want to describe this to anybody who hasn't had it done, but it's like having a really tough shelled balloon underneath you that's deflated so you can imagine it's got kind of like little edges to it and points when until it's fully deflated it's not quite a soft round structure but sometimes the edges of that were a little uncomfortable when it was wasn't fully inflated and it's really tough like you know laying on your chest it felt like laying yeah, hard. on rocks yeah they're yeah, hard they're hard they're so. hard but i will say this and i think it was just a, a mental thing in my mind that I woke up thinking I was going to be completely flat. And when mm. I saw those expanders, I'm like, oh, look, like little, yeah. little boobies. Yeah. I was I was happy to see something there, you know, yeah. and I think that's all mental. You know, you kind of gear yourself up and then, mm-hmm. but yeah, those expanders are in there. And some women have some issues with it. But for me, I didn't, I didn't have any issues other mm-hmm. than like you said, they're, it's a foreign object. It's, it's different. I remember being deathly afraid of my very first fill. When you I were? Went. Oh my gosh. I think I took a friend. I what? was like, and then of course my plastic surgeon, he was a jokester and I love him to death, but he, I was like, he could see that I was nervous and I was telling him, I'm like, I'm really scared. What's this going to feel like? He stuck a tongue depressor in my mouth so I could bite on it. To, to joke? As a joke. Oh, my God. Because he was, like, <laughs> so trying, to, trying to prep me, oh, this is going to so be painful. And, and then, and then, so I just remember spitting it out, being like, I don't even feel this at all. And he's like, yeah, I know. You're making a big deal out of nothing. It was really. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I have to so meet funny. this guy. I he's, swear. He's I have pretty to awesome. meet this guy. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. No, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous about that. And my fills were never uncomfortable or painful. No. I mean, they do it so often that I think they're pretty pretty yeah. big pros about it. Yeah. So, and you lose a lot of feeling in the front too. So that yeah. really helps. Yeah. But. That helps. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm, interesting. <laughs> did you have any issues after your, uh, reconstruction? No, I did not. Um, I remember having one day where I thought like something right along my suture line was infected, but it was actually just one of the, dis- uh, I forget what they're, what, what is the word when they, dispose um oh the dissolve yeah the The disintegrating the dissolving suture 
got like a little pus around it and it just needed to be like popped. But I like freaked out and and they called me in and and they're like, you need to come in here. And it was so she was like, oh, this is no big deal. She like poked it with a needle and like oozed out. Ah, (laughs) There you go, guys. There's there's the behind the scenes curtain there of uh, what goes on. But nothing went wrong. But you did, though. You had a pretty big. Yeah, well, I so. Those incision sites, you know, I mean, the the tissue is very thin there Mm -hmm. and it was on the side that had been radiated. Mm. So it was like super sensitive. And um, yeah, like probably now this is how stupid I was. Okay, I'm going to say this. I decided to take a brand new job right before my reconstruction surgery. And so basically I told the new company like, oh, I just need to start two weeks from now. Like basically I, mm-hmm. so I could have this surgery and then jump on a plane and start a brand new. But of course you didn't tell them that you were having that No, surgery. no, they had no clue that I had had <laughs> cancer or that I was having surgery. I kept that very, of course, as, right. as is me, I kept it under wraps. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to tell anybody. Um, so yeah, so that's how smart I was um, starting a big high pressure job right after I get through cancer. Um, but yeah, so I have my reconstruction surgery. I hop on a plane. I start doing all the stuff that's related to having a new job. And then like two weeks later, I notice that there's just the tiniest bit of an opening in one of the incisions. I went into my plastic surgeon and I said, okay, what is this? And he looked at it. I mean, it was really tiny. And so he was like, "Mm, let's just watch that because it could close on its own and just keep an eye on it. Well, I have a very high threshold for pain or discomfort. And so I was just like, okay, great. That's what I wanted to hear. And I went about my business and it was getting worse, but I don't know that I necessarily noticed it right away because from the incision, there had been just a little bit of dried blood there. And so I didn't mess with it, right? Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the shower scrubbing it off. I'm like, it'll fall off when it's, when it needs to. And I just kind of left it alone and just lightly showered. And then I started to not feel well. Like I started to just not feel good. Mm -hmm. And then one day I spiked a fever and I'm out working and and the incision site did look kind of angry. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It started to like be a little bit like angry. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pop into this wound doctor (laughs) that was in the area. I looked him up. I Googled it. I'm like, oh, there's a wound doctor. I'll pop in. Uh And I'm like, can you guys look at this? Which they did. Mm hmm. And she goes, honey, that is not blood. That is your implant showing. Oh, no. She's like, you need to call an emergency. Like, this is an emergency. You need to call your plastic surgeon. So they sent him a picture because I wrongly assumed that my implant was clear. Mm. Uh, No, it's red for FYI. Oh, that's so weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And so, yeah, he was like, you need to get down to the hospital. And we rushed down there. And um, I'll never forget it because I'm in the room waiting for this surgery. Mm-hmm. And a resident came in and told me and my husband, like, hey, there's a very big probability here that this is infected and that we're going to have to take the implant out and you're going to have to start reconstruction all over. <sighs> and I just I whipped my head over to my husband with this panicked look on my face. I mean, I must have just looked devastated because mm-hmm. I remember my husband taking my hand and being like, it's okay. Like whatever happens, we are going to get through this. It's, it's okay. Like Mm -hmm. we will, it'll be fine. Thankfully the surgeon then came in and said, Oh no, you'll be okay. It's, we're not going to have to take the implant out. I went under, I woke up. He's like, we took a little, just the tiniest bit of volume out of that left side Mm -hmm. and stitched you back up and you're good to go. Oh my gosh. Talk about the ups and downs. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so we did have a little hiccup and it isn't unusual to have those hiccups after reconstruction, especially on the radiated side. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was walking around with a fever and not feeling well for probably two weeks before I, Oh boy. I know. So all of you out there don't do that. Yeah. 
I think I feel like we come back to a lesson from I think it was a very first podcast where we said just listen to your body, listen to your body, you know, and and trust that you can make the phone call and like ask if this is normal. Your providers don't care. Like they, you know, they shouldn't anyway. Right. Um, they, you know, you need to know what's going on. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about this when we get to emotional um, well-being after treatment because that's its own segment. Um, but I, I also look back at that experience and think, you know, it's like a death in the family, right? Like they tell you don't make any major decisions right after this happens to you, mm-hmm. or any major event. I had no business taking a brand new job, a brand new stressful job right after I was done with cancer treatment and, you know, reconstruction. That was just not a smart move. I shouldn't have done it. Um, And so we'll get to that when we start talking about your emotional well-being after treatment. But that I look back at that and think, oh, my gosh, like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, not your best moment. You live and you learn. You're you're trying to get back to your normal you. And, you know, your normal you would have done all those things. That's true. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Let's hear from our sponsor. At Arbonne, we empower people to flourish with sustainable, healthy living to improve the mind, body, and skin. Our brand philosophy embraces the connection between a healthier mind, stronger body, and more beautiful skin. For more information, contact independent consultants Brett and Nicole Robbins at 314-605-2010 or visit B-R-E-T-T-R-O-B-B-I-N-S dot Arbon A R B O N N E dot com. That's Brett Robbins dot Arbon dot com. We are going to continue our discussion on surgical decision-making. In the next episode, we're going to talk about what other women we know have chosen regarding surgery and their reasons. And hopefully that will give those who are listening a wide array of opinions so that you can choose what's best for you. Wouldn't you say that's a takeaway from today? I would for sure say that. Yep. And and just knowing that, again, like we say oh, every we episode. We say it every episode. Every episode People are going to uh, get so annoyed. I know. But I, I feel like it's, it's a good point to drive home because in the world of, you know, social media, where everybody sees, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and living their best life on the 5% that you put on social media. Sometimes it makes these decisions a little bit more individual when they realize that it's, it is about what's best for me and what's best for my family. It's not necessarily what Susie so-and-so did on, you know, social media. That's in life in general too. I, that was my biggest lesson when I actually felt like I became a real adult was when I realized that I don't have to do everything just to how my parents did or how their parents did or, you know, like I can chart my own course mm-hmm. and that's, that's good. And there's a lot of freedom in that. And I think it applies to breast cancer as well. So, yeah. And know also that provider recommendations are that they are recommendations. You also have to make the decisions for that's best for you. Mm -hmm. You are presented with all your options and that's what they're there for. And then you make the decision that's right for you. Absolutely. All right, guys. All right. See you next time.